Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Amen. Mm-hmm.
change from the bulletin here, if you would, I would like to look at Psalm 29. And let's read Psalm 29 responsively. Ascribe to the Lord, you gods, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his God's name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is the voice of slander. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The Lord makes Lebanon skip like a calf, and Mount Hermon like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord bursts forth in lightning flashes. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kedesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe and strips the forest bare. And in the temple of the Lord, all are crying glory. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forevermore. O Lord, give strength to your people. Give them, O Lord, the blessings of peace. All right, we'll continue with hymn 340. A lamb goes uncomplaining forth. Uh, and here again, one of my attempts really to push on you a traditional Lutheran hymn uh, and if you look at the text, you'll see it's written by Paul Gerhardt, who lived early 17th century. He's one of these early confessional Lutherans who was carrying Martin Luther's legacy on after the Reformation. Uh, and so much of traditional Lutheran hymnody comes from Gerhardt. Uh, and he helped through song uh, really carry on the Reformation spirit. And the Lutherans really held on to these kinds of hymns as a chance for catechesis, a chance for learning, uh, as a chance to teach. And so this, this hymn follows in that vein as well.
topic tonight is, well, what is baptism? Uh, and that last stanza there speaks exactly to what our hope when we talk about baptism, what are we talking about? Right? Of death I am no more afraid, your dying is my living, you clothe me in your royal robes that you are always giving. Right? That's, in the end, what we are also going to confess God gives to us in our baptisms. I'm going to read first, actually, not from John 17, from the book of Titus. And reading from Titus, I'm going to first look at the first three verses, so Titus 1, 1 through 3, and then I'm going to skip over to chapter 3 and read verses 1 through 7, if you're following with me. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that is in accordance with godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In due time, he revealed his word through the proclamation with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. And then skipping to chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. What I've chosen here for our Lenten theme is to look at what the small catechism says about the sacraments, about baptism, about confession, and about Holy Communion. Uh, and the first question that comes up in the catechism, uh, and if it's been a while since you've looked at the catechism, the catechism is structured around questions and answers to be memorized. Uh, Luther wrote the small catechism for parents to teach their children. Uh, but it was always meant to be something taught at the dinner table. Uh, parents would ask the question, what is baptism? And the children were expected to memorize the answer and then repeat it back to get that kind of foundational knowledge. Uh, so the catechism is written in this kind of question and answer format. And so Luther here comes to the catechism to address the question of the sacraments and so the first question is, well, what is baptism? Right, and the answer from the catechism, baptism is not simply plain water. Instead, it is water used according to God's command and connected with God's word. Uh, just a note, if you want to see it, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the hymnal has a copy of the catechism in it. 
um, on page 1164. Uh, so if you ever need to see the text of the catechism, it's, it's in the hymnal. 1164 um, is what I'm looking at. All right, and this is the baptism. So let me read that again. Baptism is not simply plain water. Instead, it is water used according to God's command and connected with God's word. Well, I want to get to eventually, what is it that Lutherans emphasize in baptism? What is it that we say the New Testament teaches about baptism? What is it that we believe? Uh, what's distinctive about what Lutherans say about baptism? Uh, but before I begin that, I want to get to a consensus. What do all Christians agree about baptism? Right, now we, we know there are differences, uh, but we can also start with pointing out some similarities with what all Christians will say about baptism. The first thing is that all churches, all basically all denominations, all Christians, say that baptism is something commanded by God. Right, this is something God has told Christians to do. He's told the church to do it. It's not something that we made up. It's not something arbitrary, uh, not a ritual that we planned up for the sake of having a ritual. Uh, this is something that's come right from God. Right, and maybe most famously we see that in Matthew chapter 28, uh, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, of the Gospel of Matthew, before Jesus ascends back to the Father, he's about to send his disciples out into the world. Right? And Jesus says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right, so that's a job that Jesus gives his disciples. Right, go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them. Right, that's their one job. Go baptize people. That's what they're made to do. Uh, we know as well that you know we see this in action in the book of Acts. Uh, after Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter two, he's in Jerusalem and he's talking to the crowds there after Pentecost, uh, the same people that he says were there when Jesus was crucified, right? And he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God, our God calls to him. Right, so again, this, according to Peter, is coming from God. This is something God is giving to you. This is something we're doing because God has sent us out to do it. We even see it in the Gospels. Um, in John chapter 4, uh, Jesus brings his disciples out into Galilee, and we're told that he sends his disciples out at that point, and they're baptizing people. Right? This is something Jesus is telling his disciples to do. Uh, not, not something the church has kind of cooked up. Uh, the next thing that really all churches agree in is that baptism itself is not just a human ritual. 
right? It's not something that's optional for Christians uh, because it is something that God has commanded the church to do. It's something that churches should do, right? Being baptized for a Christian is not maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, right? This is something God wants you to do. And so it is a divine ritual. It's something God has given us to do. For Lutherans in particular, they hold on to this fact that this is something that Christ has commanded us to do. And so as we get into the weeks in Lent, we talk about sacraments. For Lutherans, this is what's going to make a sacrament. That is something Christ has commanded, his commands attached to it. Uh, this is going to be different than how traditions like Catholicism talk about sacraments. Uh, so for Lutherans, we really say there are two sacraments. There's communion and there's baptism. Uh, if you were to talk to a Roman Catholic, they would say there's seven sacraments. Uh, and so there's a distinction there because Lutherans talk about sacraments as things that Christ has commanded us to do. Uh, Catholics and some other traditions talk about sacraments as things that bring grace to your life. So for Catholics, marriage is a sacrament. Confirmation is a sacrament. Ordination is a sacrament, and so on. Uh, because they say a sacrament is something that conveys grace to you. Uh, Lutherans are happy to say, you know, there's grace in marriage and grace in confirmation and so forth. But for us, we want to hold on to specifically what has Christ commanded us to do as the church. Uh, another consensus point, all Christians, all denominations believe that baptism is initiation into the church in one way or another. Baptism is signifying that the person who is baptized is a new person. Right? Because of this, in nearly every tradition, a true baptism, in their opinion, is a one-time sacrament. Right? No one really claims to re-baptize people, to baptize people again. Uh, and so for Lutherans in particular, this becomes important. Uh, you're only baptized once. Uh, we're not re-baptized over and over. And we'll talk about why that is. But most Christians agree with that. Uh, and also what this means in, in most church traditions, if you're baptized according to Christ's command in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, any church should accept your baptism as valid. Right? So if you were to become Catholic, they're not going to make you get rebaptized. Uh, they'll say that your baptism as a Lutheran is valid. Uh, likewise, if someone were to come to become a Lutheran who was Catholic or was Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever, we don't demand that they be rebaptized uh, because this isn't a denominational thing. This is something Christ has commanded, so we're following Christ's command. Uh, and finally, just a, a consensus point. Lutherans accept any mode of baptism. This is not a consensus among Protestants, so there are some Baptists who say that only being fully immersed in the water is a valid baptism. Lutherans will say, as long as you have the word of God and you have the water, and it's done following Christ's command, then it's valid. 
Uh, so Lutherans will accept pouring, sprinkling, or immersion as valid. Uh, interesting enough, so Luther himself said immersion was preferable, um, but not required. Uh, baptism, the Greek word where we get baptism, literally just means wash. So it could be pour, but it could be dunked over. Uh, Luther liked you know, the imagery of being pushed under the water, uh, the old sinner being drowned, and a new person being raised. And in Luther's day, um, interesting enough, babies were immersed in the water fully. Um, they didn't sprinkle or pour on babies. They had big fonts. If you go to cathedrals in Europe, you'll see bigger fonts, and they would fill them up. Uh, you strip the baby naked, and you put the baby in the water and pull it back up. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church still does this. If you go on YouTube, you can find some examples. Uh, there are even examples of priests who drop the baby on accident. Um, it's hard to hold on to a wet, squirmy baby. Uh, so you can find horrible examples of that as well. But, uh, we say it's easier just to hold the baby and not trying to, to dunk a baby in the water. So usually we pour water. Um, but for Lutherans, you know, as long as there's water, as long as it's done according to the command of Christ, uh, then it's valid. Uh, so as Lutherans, we don't want you to doubt because you were baptized one way or the other at a font, at a pond, at a creek, whatever. Uh, it's, all, it's all valid for us. So we want there to be certainty, and so we don't insist on one one particular mode. Uh, and those things change culturally. Uh, I think I've told the story before of, you know, when I was baptized, I was a teenager uh, in a tradition that wasn't Lutheran, in a more holiness tradition. And so they just packed me up and they took me out to a farm in a pond and it was at the end of September. It was about 50 degrees and the water, water was 50 degrees or so and they pushed me under and yeah I think the old Adam died in me at that point uh, that, that's a shock to your system uh, for Lutherans the key here and the key part of this definition and almost the key to really understanding all of Lutheran theology and understanding Martin Luther himself is this point Right, that baptism is water used according to God's command and connected with God's word. That's a really important key phrase there, connected with God's word. Right, so baptism itself is not plain water, uh, but we say that there's something in the water when we baptize. Right, and that is God's word. And so I want you to hear me, I'm not saying that the water itself is magic. There's nothing magical about the water in the font. We don't really talk about holy water as Lutherans. But when we say a person is baptized, we're saying that they're baptized not just with plain water, but water connected to the word, connected with the word. All right, and so this is going to become really key to understanding uh, what we're going to teach about baptism. And so to get to that point, I want to talk about this phrase, the word of God. Right, what do we mean when we say the word of God? 
So usually when we use that phrase, we're talking about the Bible. Uh, 99% of the time you hear someone say the word of God, they're talking about scripture, right? And that's right. Uh, but the truth is that what Lutherans are going to say is that the word of God is living. It's dynamic. The word of God is a thing. It's a kind of reality. And so the word of God is not strictly limited to just a textual thing, to just words on paper. Rather, the word of God is something that is proclaimed. It's spoken and it's living, and so it has power. Uh, Luther talks about this in context of Genesis chapter 1 of creation. Uh, listen to what he says about the word of God. So for God calls into existence the things which do not exist. He does not speak grammatical words. He speaks true and existent realities. Accordingly, that which among us has the sound of a word is a reality with God. The sun, moon, heaven, earth, Peter, Paul, and I, you, etc. We are all words of God. In fact, only one single syllable or letter by comparison with the entire creation. We too speak, but only according to the rules of language. That is, we assign names to objects which have already been created. But the divine rule of language is different. Namely, when God says, sun, shine, the sun is there at once and shines. Thus the words of God are realities, not bare words. So do you see what Luther is saying there? He's making a distinction between how we use language, how we use words, and what God's word is. And so for Luther, the word of God is a thing. It's a reality. Right? We think of words as a representation of ideas. Our words are symbols. Right? I can say the word font, and it represents this thing here, font. It's symbolic. Uh, you know, it, we believe that words that we use can be shifted around, right? Uh, there's no reason this has to be called a font. It could be called, I don't know, a chair, right? And if we all agreed that this was a chair, then it would work. Uh, because we, th we see our words as kind of representing something that's already created. But Luther is saying God's word is the reality itself, right? When God says something, then it's true, it's real. And so we, we're often skeptical of language, first off, um, because we know that people use language to lie. People use language, people use words uh, with their own agenda, with biases. They speak rhetorically and so on, right? And so we, we're skeptical, we're, we're mistrustful of a lot of words. Uh, if a politician says something, right, you don't take that as reality. Right? Automatically, you know if, the, if a politician is saying something, you say, okay, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know that they're not speaking fully 100% kind of reality, but they're using words for a purpose. Uh, we think of words as basically powerless, 
right? Um, any of us who were bullied in school uh, always came back to this same phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Uh, well, words can't hurt you. Words don't really mean anything. Uh, it's only the stones that are thrown at you that will hurt. So, you know, we basically have this assumption words can be misused. Words basically don't do anything. Uh, they're powerless. All right, but this is where Luther says we have to make a distinction between God's word, God speaking, and us speaking. Because when God speaks, it comes into being. When God says, let there be, well, there is. Right? When God says, sun, however God says that, there's the sun and it shines. Right? God's word is certain and true. It brings about what is true. Right? So we know that the word of God does have power. Okay? So when the word of God itself is proclaimed, something is happening. Right? When God gives his word, he's giving us power. He's giving us something. And so we talk about, especially as Lutherans, that God's word has the power to give life and the power to kill. Uh, sometimes in the Bible this is used in other ways. The word of God can loose or it can bind. It can bless or it can curse. The word of God can give the law or it can give the gospel. Right, and that's what scriptures communicate to us about the word. Right, but the power of the word of God comes to us when it is proclaimed. Right, and so our point here, when we talk about baptism, when we talk about how it's water connected to the word, we're saying it's water connected to something that actually has power. Right? It's not just an arbitrary symbol. Right? So for Lutherans, baptism is not a sign. Um, it's not just a symbol. It's not a sign of something that you believe. It's not a sign of something that you're committing to. But we're saying when you're baptized, God's word is doing something to you. God's word has this power. Right? And we say the power is first to kill. It's to kill the old sinner in you, to kill the old Adam. But then God's word has the power to raise you. And so in baptism, you're raised into a new creation. You're made new. Right? So in baptism, the old sinner is killed, and the new righteous person, the new righteous human is raised. And we'll talk more about that next week uh, and what scripture says about that. Uh, but, but for some people, this is hard. Uh, but God gives us his word through external means. Right? So many of us come up and we're raised in such a way, and it's kind of everywhere in American religion, that religion is really just something internal. It's just something spiritual. It's just an emotion. It's just a feeling. Uh, but the Bible pushes back at that a little bit. And Lutherans push back at that. Because they say God gives us his word through external things, through means. 
right? So sometimes God gives us his word through the voice of a preacher, right? Through the speaking of a preacher. And it vibrates your eardrums, right? And it goes into, into your brain and then it connects with you. But that's an external physical thing. Uh, and that's the regular way that people come to faith is that they hear the word of God, they hear the gospel being proclaimed. In fact, that's what St. Paul says in the book of Romans. Faith comes by hearing. Uh, and so one of the ways God makes his word external is through that proclamation of the preacher, through the words of a sermon, through someone sharing the gospel with you. Uh, that's one external way that the word reaches you. Uh, but the word then is also connected to other external things according to Christ's command. Right? So here in baptism, we say that the word of God is connected with water. Right? Just as it's connected to the preaching of a preacher, now that word and proclamation is connected to water. Right? And so there we say that it's the water connected with the word that does something to you. And again, that's hard for a lot of us to accept because we're so used to just thinking about religion as a private emotional heart thing. Uh, but we're saying there's something, the water, which is the word, which is the power of God, that when you're baptized, you're changed. That something is happening to you because of the word of God. Right? Uh, and there's speculation about, well, why would God just use water right, to change us? Why would God do something through water? Why the external means? Well, one of the clear reasons is for our benefit, because you can't doubt it. Right? There's no question about whether or not you were baptized. Right? The water is a real physical thing that's touched your head. Uh, there's a historical time and place that it happened. Um, so I grew up in a tradition that really focused on conversion experiences and having a spiritual experience at the altar, at a revival, or something like that. But the thing is, you know, you were supposed to know if you were saved if you had a particular feeling. Right? Did you invite Jesus into your heart to be your Lord? Right? Did you make Jesus your personal friend? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, if you're a really thoughtful and scrupulous and conscientious person, you always ask the question, I don't know, did I? Do I really truly believe that Jesus is my Lord? I think so. But there was that one time I doubted. Was my experience genuine? Uh, was I just having a bad day that day? What's my experience? Is it true? Well, Lutherans say you don't have to rely on the interior feeling that's going on, right? Because you have the word that's connected to the water, right? And that water and the word, that's a promise to you. There's no doubting it. It's certain. It's external, right? And so Lutherans harp on this all the time, right? That it's something external that you can be certain of. That's why God gives you his word in external means, right? And so, kind of my last point here, baptism is God's work, 
Baptism is something that God gives to us that we receive. It's not our work. Uh, so the typical kind of Baptist or evangelical way of talking about baptism um, is that baptism is a sign or a symbol of our confession of faith. Right? I've made a decision for God. I've made a decision to follow Christ. And so now I'm going to be baptized to show the world this is my decision and my commitment. That's turning baptism into something we do. Right? Lutherans say, no, 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 no. Rather, what happens at baptism is something God does to us. Right? God is washing us with his word, making us new with his word. It's all his work, right? and we're just receiving it. And so for us, baptism is not a symbolic confession of faith or something like that. Baptism is something that God does to us. Uh, it's for, for us, a gift given to us. Okay, so when I started off, I read from Titus. Uh, just to make this point. Right, so Titus, here Paul is writing uh, to his student, uh, mentoree Titus. Right, and, and in the beginning it says, In due time he revealed, as God revealed his word, through the proclamation with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So you see it there. There's God's word being revealed through preaching, through the proclamation. And then Paul is going to go on and say, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Right? This is something God has given us. God's doing for us. He proclaims his word to us when we are baptized. Right? And that's going to be the most important point you can take from all of this. Uh, we're so often taught and we believe, and in some ways it's good, that we've got to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We've got to figure out things on our own. We've got to make it on our own. We've got to be strong, independent people. And sometimes that bleeds into our faith, right? And we say, well, this faith is my decision, my work, what I do. Right? Baptism is supposed to be a reminder to us in this situation that, no, it's what God has done for us. It's what God is doing to us, what God has proclaimed about us. All right, so next week we'll pick up on, well, what are the benefits of baptism what completely is God doing in baptism? Uh, and with that, I want to talk about why do we baptize babies? Uh, Lutherans baptize babies, of course, and that's a big controversy in the church. Why would we, why would we do that? So hold on to, to those thoughts, and we will continue next week. Our service continues on 314. Long ago... God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by the Son.
continue with the prayers on page 316. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for the health of the creation, for abundant harvest that all may share, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for public servants, the government, and those who protect us, for those who work to bring peace, justice, healing, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. For those who travel, for those who are sick and suffering, for those who are in captivity, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For deliverance in a time of affliction, wrath, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For all servants of the church, for this assembly, and for all people who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Giving thanks for all who have gone before us and are at rest, rejoicing in the communion of all the saints, we commend ourselves, one another, and our whole life to you. Through Christ our Lord, to you, O Lord. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works. Give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God forever. Amen. Bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve us. Amen.
peace. Christ is with you.